Hey there, and welcome back to the Will and Rob Show. My name is Robert, and I am joined by my good buddy, Will. Uh, Last week, we discussed imagination, and today we wanted to look at a theory that I've been sort of developing. Uh, If you follow me on Twitter, you'll see I've been tweeting about this a little bit, but uh, looking at conspiracy as the corrupted form of imagination. Um, Our country uh, seems to be saturated with conspiracies. Will, you probably know somebody who believes in some sort of conspiracy theory. I know I do, whether that's JFK assassination, uh, the moon landing, uh, to even sort of our more modern conspiracy theories. Just this week, uh, the president tweeted out one about Joe Scarborough uh, that's getting a lot of attention. And then uh, most recently, The Atlantic has been looking at conspiracies in a new project that they're working on called Shadowland. Uh, one of the ones that they dove into uh, was the, is it QAnon or QAnon? Do you know which, how do you say it? Well, I'm going to split the difference and I've been pronouncing it QAnon. QAnon. Okay. So we'll, we'll refer to QAnon. Yeah, I think it does. I, and you mentioned conspiracy theories when I, I just, I was, uh, I was 12 and it was the 40th anniversary of the JFK shooting and the history channel all day ran a series of different episodes and each one was from a different angle explaining who may have shot JFK. So you get the Lee Harvey Oswald typical, you get the LBJ, you get the Cubans, you get the Russians. And I was upstairs at the game room at my parents' house engrossed in this series, just all day watching it. And then I went down to my mom and I was like, mom, when I get to heaven, I'm going to ask God who really shot. (laughs) I don't think she's the important questions first. Yeah, I don't think she thought that was a great use of my question. <laughs> Probably not. The It's funny. Uh, I think growing up in the Dallas-Fort Worth area, we're more uh, attuned to sort of those JFK conspiracy theories. Because like when I went to Michigan um, and I would talk to people about it, they like didn't really quite get it. But if you grow up in Dallas and you go to Dealey Plaza, I mean, there are just people out there peddling all kinds of literature and, and are willing to spend hours with you telling you about you know, where exactly from the grassy knoll the second shooter was. And it's, it's kind of crazy how that sort of now become part of like Americana, like folklore is, mm-hmm. the, is the conspiracy theory. That, that seems to be a very American thing, it seems. And it doesn't seem to be any different today. Uh, there's just a ton of conspiracy th- theories out there. I know you and I have both been impressed with the Atlantic's piece on QAnon and, and sort of the the big essay that they wrote on that. What, what were your thoughts when you first read it? What, what was sort of the big takeaways from it? Well, that's that June cover series and it's the prophecies of Q. You mentioned Dealey Plaza. And when you drive through Dealey Plaza, it's one of the most nondescript places you can go. That's a cataclysmic American history location. It changed sure. in so many ways, changed the course of America. And it's utterly nondescript. I mean, you wouldn't know unless someone point out, Hey, that X is where the, where the, where the motorcade was shot. That's the grassy knoll. Uh, there's no reason to think that. And in some ways, the way that the landscape is, is somewhat metaphorical to the way that this Atlantic piece opens um, by saying, look, there's not one profile for someone who is adoring QAnon. It, it is an average person. It is a stay-at-home mom. It's an accountant. 
It is a, someone who's working on a dude ranch. I mean, it doesn't really matter what the person looks like. There's this nondescript uh, Americanness to it. And there's conspiracy theories everywhere. But at, at the beginning of their Shadowlands series, they mentioned how there was a conspiracy floating around before the Revolutionary War that King George III wanted to enslave all of Americans. And I haven't done enough diving into this to see if conspiracy theories are uniquely American in their way. Philip Roth, the American novelist, great Pulitzer Prize winner, had this phrase called the American berserk, that a lot of American history is not, because it's not a traditional country, we're more this like spontaneous revolutions that just pop up and change. And um, conspiracies seem to fit well into explaining that. Uh, Yeah, she says in the article that that conspiracy theories tend to flourish in uh, times of rapid change, Mm -hmm. uh, whether that's social or or political or or anything like that. So uh, yeah, it's not surprising that conspiracy theories really take a root in America. But I, one thing I've been really thinking about lately is uh, conspiracy theory is conspiracy. I should say in general as um, a corrupted form of imagination. And so we, we talked about imagination last week. Uh, on our podcast. And if we believe that sin has really uh, corrupted and touched all parts of creation, um, I think imagination's certainly in that category. And sort of what is the corrupted form of imagination? And that being conspiracy in, in a way that we uh, read the narratives that are, that are around us, how we see our place in the universe. Uh, something that really uh, struck me after I read your devotional that you wrote for Ministry of State this week uh, was looking at Satan's uh, did God really say as sort of the first conspiracy in creation, this sort of twisting of Eve's reality to suggest that there was a higher power that was somehow withholding something from her, that God's commandment to not eat of the, the tree was not for her own benefit, but that God was trying to prevent her from doing, from achieving something, from that he was hiding something from her. And so conspiracy, while it is very much, we we recognize it as very um, popular in American culture, I don't think is necessarily limited to it. It it is sort of, it's a human fallen condition that we live with now. So early on in scripture, you have this conspiracy type. We can, for the sake of what we're dealing with right now in America, I mean, it, it fits that. And part of the beauty of scripture is that it's, dynamic enough and um, multifaceted enough that it, it can apply in different areas. So right now we're, we can see that there's a whispering of, did God really say, what's the source of your knowledge? So what's the connection you see between conspiracy thinking and sin? Yeah. I mean, I think a large part of it has to do with the gospel story that we're telling uh, in our churches and in our communities. I think that one thing that's really popular in sort of the American evangelical context is to tell a gospel story that is limited to, and I want to be very careful about what I say because I don't want people to hear what I'm not saying, Mm -hmm. but we tell a gospel story that is limited to my own personal sin and my own personal redemption through a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. And while nothing of that story is necessarily wrong, it becomes limited when that's the only story we tell. When we don't recognize the bookends of creation and restoration, right? Like the gospel message is that 
God created all things, that sin, that Adam's sin corrupted all things, and now Christ returns to restore all things. And that includes our politics, that includes our communities, that includes education, that includes all things, right? And so when our message is the Bible only speaks to your personal sin and personal redemption, it doesn't speak to other areas like politics, which we can recognize are broken. People will look for the answer, the solution, the restoration in other means. And when I read that QAnon article that Atlantic, that the Atlantic wrote, I see a bunch of people who she interviews, a bunch of people who are looking for when is the when are our politics going to be restored? They're not getting the answer in the gospel because the, the churches aren't preaching that. And so instead they turn to a conspiracy theory like QAnon, which promises a day when our politics will be restored. I mean, that's that's what that theory promises, right? So I think that there's a huge connection between what are we saying the gospel message is and why are we susceptible to conspiracy theories? So why you mentioned the, this limited gospel that's me and my Bible, somewhat de facto privatized in a way, which leads to a lot of just different beliefs about what Jesus is like. What is, what's the importance then of connecting this Genesis 3 with Genesis 1 and 2 to make sure that those first three chapters are not uh, separated? Yeah, that's a, that's a really good point. The, um, it's important to recognize that in order to have a fully realized anthropology, we can't limit ourselves to only Genesis 3, which tends to be the default for evangelical Christians today, that man is inherently sinful, right? Like the doctrine of total depravity has sort of been morphed into that. But it's important to recognize that that's not actually the case. Man is not inherently by design sinful. Man was created good, right? Sin is a thing that happens later. Or when we form our anthropology, we've got to be reading Genesis, Genesis 1 through 3, right? We have to be looking at what did God create us to do or what did God make creation for? And I think when, when we focus on just Genesis 3, when we focus just on the sin, it's easy for us to sort of get into this way of thinking that man was created bad and we need, a, we need somebody to come fix us. And while that's, it's true that we do need a savior to come in and to redeem us from our sin, that's absolutely 100% accurate. But we also need to recognize that that's not how creation began and that, that the story of Christ and the gospel is that God is coming to restore all things, including our politics. I would be interested to know from your point of view, you know, it's not just necessarily that pastors aren't just preaching, you know, just aren't preaching this from the pulpit. I mean, I've been to churches that they do preach this gospel message and still there are people who are susceptible to sort of these kind of conspiracy theories. Do you think that there are other elements of this within sort of the broader evangelical community, you know, reasons for why they're susceptible to conspiracy theories? I have noticed something really interesting just from friends and family who may not be interested in pandemic, but there, there are other conspiracies that are out there. And actually I will say, I don't know anybody who reads QAnon. So I am, I am blessed and grateful to not know anybody, but I will say this from the article, from the people that uh, she interviewed, there are these odd bedfellows where on the one hand you get 
these people who say, look, if you if you threaten any part of the Constitution, the first, second, any of the amendments, you are anathema. You you are dangerous to this country. You you must hate America. But on the other hand, they say, <clears throat> don't you dare tell me how to read my Bible. Hmm. I figured it out. This is how I'm going to do it. So there's this there's kind of these opposites where this is the truth. This is what I've been told to believe. This is what the founding fathers intended. And then this is my Bible. This is what the Bible says to me. And this is how I'm going to read it. And don't tell me that I'm doing it wrong. And I think that's really problematic. When, when you have a decrease in biblical literacy, you get the reality that less of the Bible is quoted more. And you mm. get, because the Bible is such an essential part of Western civilization that people are going to go to it for explanations, for <clears throat> understanding but unless they is viewed as the whole, as you're saying from Genesis one to Revelation twenty two, there's just going to be a ton that's left out, and um, and then the gaps are going to have to be filled somewhere else. So what what can we do? What would you advise? The Gospel Coalition wrote an article, and and I think interestingly enough, denominations are going to be somewhat determinative of how influenced the congregation is by conspiracy theories. Mm-hmm. Um, I would be very shocked if an Anglican church had someone preaching about conspiracy theory from the pulpit. I would not be as surprised if something of a non-denominational had someone preach. Why? Because there's more autonomy there. There's not as much uh, responsibility. There may not be even any elders there. Um, So what was the gospel coalition saying? I know you read their article. Well, I mean, I'm not quite sure that there's a lot of, great solutions to this, this problem. I, I saw a great meme that was going viral this week where it's, have you seen the, have you seen the sad Ben Affleck meme where he's oh, standing yeah. out in the corner smoking cigarette? And yeah. uh, I saw somebody caption it was like, when your pastor sees what you're posting on Facebook. And this kind of goes back. We had a conversation a while back uh, on our show where we talked about if you're sowing seeds of discord on your Facebook page and you, and your pastor sees it, like what is sort of the role of your pastor or your, your friends to speak into that thing. I think that same question applies here. If you are promoting things like QAnon, which promise a, let's say it, a false gospel, what is the role of church leadership or your, your brother or sister in Christ? Like what's, what's the, what's the responsibility? If the, the first problem is sort of a little bit gray, I think this, this problem is a little bit more black and white. I mean, I, I absolutely think that, if you're promoting a false gospel as QAnon, then if you're a pastor and you see one of your congregants posting that or talking about it, you have a responsibility to correct. I, I don't. I don't see it much as any different as a, as the false teaching in uh, any of the the Pauline epistles. I will say this: I think that, not to justify myself here, I think there's a difference between a conspiracy theory about who killed JFK. And is the, are the end times coming through the Trump administration? Right. Those are different. And I think conspiracy theories, some people like them just because they're fun, but when they become a way of life, when they become a, an interpretive lens for everything, then that becomes problematic because that is the result of what you said at the beginning of replacing the scriptural explanation, Leslie Newbegin has that famous story where he meets with a Hindu scholar and says, I don't know why you call this Bible a religious book. We have plenty of religious books. This is a history of all humanity from the creation to the new creation. And 
if we view conspiracy theories as that, and we're willing to snip out parts of our Bibles to get this to work, and every, every stripe is willing to do this in one way or another, then we have a real problem. But I think that's another part of the, the, the pastor is going to face some difficulties. Like, when do I step in? Yeah. How serious is this? Is this something that people are changing the way they read scripture or relegating scripture to a lower place because QAnon or something says, says this? And that requires an, an intimacy with their congregants. I think also it's important that pastors, when they're preaching from the pulpit, are taking their congregants continuously through the full and complete biblical narrative. I understand and I get why so much of preaching is focused on personal sin, personal redemption, because that is something we need desperately, right? Like that is sort of the quote unquote practical message for everyday congregants. But as we're seeing in this discussion right now, which I hope is what is what's being brought out is that the grand story of scripture, the whole narrative of all creation being restored is inherently practical to people as it will inform their views on their everyday lives, especially if that means politics. And so being able to preach that day in and day out and making sure that that is the message that, that folks are getting, I think is really important. Well, that was good. I think we're about out of time. Uh, we'll wrap up here. Thank you again for listening to the Will and Rob show. You can follow us on Twitter. I'm at RD Hassler and you can follow Will at Stockdale Will. Um, also go back and read his devotional from this week. I think it's very applicable to the conversation that we've uh, had today. Um, I'll also link to it in the show notes. We'll also link to the Atlantic article that we talked about. Make sure to follow Ministry of State on Twitter at Ministry of State. And we'll see you guys again next week.